Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Bill Barnwell Show. I am Bill Barnwell. Today, Lindsey Jones of The Athletic is joining me first to talk about the breaking news in the NFL regarding the Brian Flores lawsuit. And then we're going to talk about nine of the NFL's remaining free agents and where they might end up and what would be a great fit for guys like Tyron Matthew and Odell Beckham and a bunch more. But first, I wanted to talk to you about another podcast here at ESPN, which is the First Draft Podcast, hosted by ESPN Draft experts Mel Kuyper Jr., Todd McShay, and Field Yates. These guys are keeping tabs on the latest in the NFL Draft as it approaches in a couple weeks, and the show is now twice a week, every Monday and Thursday. Also, check out Monday's show on YouTube as well. So enjoy the First Draft Podcast, and here's Lindsey Jones talking about the breaking news here in the NFL. All right, joining me now here as promised on the Bill Barnwell Show, a regular contributor to the Bill Barnwell Show, a frequent contributor to The Athletic, where she works, and the mother of maybe the prodigy when it comes to prognosticating across not just football, we've discovered, but all sports. Yes, that that is my one claim to fame now as I'm raising a... Um somebody a, a child who probably should move to las vegas and start <laughs> betting games yes my five-year-old won her first shot at a march madness pool and she didn't just win it she like crushed everybody in the bracket um she won by a significant amount and she i think she was the only one who actually had like kansas winning um but she was like perf- near perfect in one of the regions i think she had one miss in the midwest region and it, and she didn't advance far by picking St. Peter, she actually picked Kentucky. So she wasn't one of those who just lucked into this. I don't know how it happened, but yeah, she won $91 and is excited to go to spend <laughs> it all on toys. Like having $91 as, how old is your daughter, Lena? She's, she's five. Having so. $91 as a five-year-old is like the most money you can possibly imagine having. Oh, it's gonna be dangerous. I mean, I'm just imagining, you know, God, I'm picturing supermarket sweep, but wasn't there like a toy, a toy um, shopping spree game show when we were kids? Was there? Oh, I would have watched this regularly. So I feel like I missed this if it did exist. Just tweet us, post, come tweet at us if you remember the show that I'm talking about that I'm picturing in my head. It was like supermarket sweep, but for toys. Mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time watching supermarket sweep, so I feel like. I would have absolutely watched this toy show if I knew it exists. And if it does exist and someone tweets us about it, I'm probably going to spend like five hours binging it on Netflix if it does actually exist. So I'm hoping that I am mistaken because I need the five hours to catch up on football stuff. But today joining us after this long intro is Lindsay Jones. Lindsay, how are you? I, I'm good. It's been another, you know, busy morning in the NFL. We can never go more than you know, just a few hours without some sort of, you know, bombshell dropping. And uh, the latest is not free agency for once. It's um, some new updates to the Brian Flores lawsuit. Yes. So we are going to get to some free agent discussion here in a minute. But first, let's talk about the breaking news that happened today. Um, With the Brian Flores lawsuit, there were rumors for a while that a couple of coaches were going to join Brian Flores' lawsuit. And then today it was revealed that we're going to see uh, Steve Wilkes, the former Cardinals head coach, who was the coach there in 2018, and Ray Horton, who was an assistant uh, in the NFL, who interviewed for the Tennessee head coaching job in 2016, have added themselves to this amended complaint uh, regarding the Brian Flores lawsuit. So, Lindsay, please fill us in, sort of, uh, you know, Steve Wilkes' story and Ray Horton's story. How did they? end up becoming part of this lawsuit against the NFL. Sure. Yeah. I mean, we're now a couple months after, you know, Brian Flores initially filed this lawsuit, which was, Mm -hmm. you know, it was really a bombshell when it first dropped. Um, But when it was first filed, they they said that it was intended to be a class action lawsuit. Um, And up until now, uh, we had been waiting for other coaches to to join the suit and and truly turn it into a class action lawsuit. I don't believe, you know, Brian Flores and his lawyers would have initially set it up to be a class action lawsuit back Mm -hmm. in I guess, February when they first filed it, if they didn't have some confidence that others would join them. And now we have the first two. So like you said, it was Steve Wilkes and Ray Horton are the first two to join into this lawsuit. Um, And to me, what this does is, 
One, it's a sign that if the NFL and the initial teams that were named in the Flores suit were hoping that they could just kind of move this into arbitration and it would go away, or they could kind of, you know, maybe placate him or make some sort of, you know, some some changes to the hiring process that, you know, this would go away. It absolutely is not going away. This, uh, you know, it's, it's escalating mm-hmm. at this point. And when there are, you know, more people who are joining in to come forward publicly with their personal experiences, it mm-hmm. makes it harder to discount kind of some of the individual uh, claims that maybe were there before, you know, and I think that's what you, you saw a lot after the, you know, Brian Flores initially filed the lawsuit where, you know, mm-hmm. he said specific things about the giants and the Broncos and those teams would come out and say, no, 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 this part's not true, or that part's not true, or the dolphins doing something similar. Mm-hmm. If ultimately Flores's plan here or his goal here is to kind of illuminate the systemic um, problems within the NFL's hiring process and, you know, some, some very significant allegations of kind of baked in racism to, mm-hmm. to that are kind of inherent in the league, right. the more people that you come in bringing in their own experiences, they're trying to show that this is a universal experience for um, black coaches in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really notable to me. And of course there's, you know, there's new, you know, very newsworthy nuggets in there. One of those is that Brian Flores says that he sent a memo on December 4th, 2019 um, to uh, to a several other, you know, top executives within mm-hmm. the Dolphins about the allegations of tanking that he made mm-hmm. against Stephen Ross. Uh, the Dolphins do appear to already have this and have sent it to the NFL. So we'll see exactly where that goes. But that's not something that he's backing down from. And this is currently something that is being investigated by the NFL. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one of the other, I think, really interesting things to come out of this is that in 2020, Mike Malarkey, the former head coach of the Tennessee Titans, did mm-hmm. an interview with a Steelers fan podcast. Mm-hmm. Didn't get much traction. You know, it's not like a, it's not the Bill Barnwell show. Oh, or stop. I knew you were <laughs> going to do that. Stop. Okay, it's not the athletic football show. How about that? Thank you. Thank uh, you. There we go. With um, you know, so it, there weren't a ton of people I think who who heard it at the time, but um, I think uh, Ray Horton must have heard about it or known about it, and then the the attorneys in this case have gone back and listened to it. What M- Mike Malarkey said when he was really asked unprompted, like, "Do you have any regrets or things mm-hmm. that you wish would have gone differently in your coaching career?" And he basically opened up and said that back in the 2016 hiring process. Um, he believed that he was part of a kind of a, a sham process to, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term there that, you know, he said that he was told by the Titans that he was their pick to be their head coach mm-hmm. um, before the Titans went ahead and fulfilled their Rooney rule uh, interview requirements. They mm-hmm. interviewed Ray Horton and they also interviewed Terrell, uh, interviewed Terrell Austin at the time mm-hmm. for those jobs um, after they had already interviewed Mike Malarkey. And after, you know, Malarkey believes that he was, you know, told or said that he was told that he mm-hmm. was already getting that job. Um, and so what's kind of compelling about that is that Malarkey has not part of this, right? I mean, he was not, they didn't reach out to him to get a statement to be part of this, mm-hmm. this lawsuit, you know, this is really some sort of independent corroboration um, a- about the things that these three coaches publicly and many, many others privately mm-hmm. have said has gone on, um, you know, and I think it's, it's compelling in that it was, you know, Mike Malarkey didn't have any reason to lie about this. He right. brought it at, um, brought it up unprompted. There was no sort of like motivation there to, to go out and say this other than it was something that he believed was true and he felt like he needed to get off of his chest. So, um, you know, we'll see if that's sort of legally admissible, if then he ends up being compelled to participate in this NFL investigation, any of those Mm -hmm. sorts of things, but just in terms of something that you're reading and what it does for the court of public opinion. um, I I found that to be very compelling. Yeah. I mean, really fascinating that this sort of, you know, bombshell really could sort of fly under the radar for a couple of years beyond a podcast where I'm not going to disparage any podcast for their listener amount. Every podcast is sacred and, and valid. And, um, but having Mike Malarkey on, you know, independent of this case, like you said, to sort of affirm what's being accused here is really remarkable. I mean, I, I don't know that, you know, we have proof of what Mike Malarkey is saying, and I guess it's going to be another sort of he said, they said situation. But again, like Mike Malarkey has no reason to lie. He's not part of this lawsuit, nothing to gain. This wasn't even part of the discovery or the investigation or the research into this lawsuit. Um 
it's very remarkable. And, and I think, you know, as people who cover the league, I, I don't want to speak for you, but I think we've certainly seen cases where it's felt like coaches have had, you know, sort of opportunities that were, were going to be presented to them. And some of the interviews that were happening after the fact for that head coaching opportunity seemed, you know, uh, I, I don't want to say a sham, but certainly it feels like that's probably the closest thing to what it would be, or, or certainly a waste of time, or, or just sort of doing the bare minimum to fulfill a quota. And that's something that I think the NFL is going to have to reckon with. I, I think it's going, it's certainly going to be very tough, like you said, on the court of public opinion to have people believe that the NFL is seriously committed to, at least under these current rules, uh, creating opportunities for minorities. Yeah. And I think, you know, this comes at a time where, you know, the Rooney rule, Rooney rule is very much kind of still a central focus. We heard from league executives, including a bunch of their DEI and uh, executives last week that they were kind of recommitting their, um, their focus on the Rooney rule and rather than abolishing it, they're expanding it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think it very much still remains under review and whether this is a a policy that actually works uh, for the NFL. So, you know, it's really coming at a time where, you know, this is a major focus of everything that's going on in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously league execs care a lot about it and are trying to do, trying to, they're spending a lot of time. I mean, I think, I believe there were three full sessions, DEI focused sessions at owners meetings last week, more than, you know, that's, that's more than they talked about just about any other individual topic. Um, but there's no real consensus on what to do. I, you know, there's the, this is all really hard, but mm-hmm. what Brian Flores and now Ray Horton and Steve Wilkes are doing, and we'll see if anybody else ends up joining them in coming weeks or months, is they're making sure that this isn't going away. They're keeping this kind of uh, on the front burner. Um, they're putting the pressure on the league, the league office, um, teams. Now there's more teams that are initially brought into this. Obviously, Flores initially brought in the, Do- the Dolphins, the Giants, and the Broncos, um, now the Texans are involved. Flores has brought the Texans involved now in, the, in this amended filing, um, the Cardinals and the Titans. So we're getting to a point now that this is much bigger than you know a one-off. This is not something that one team or you know just the league office is having to deal with. This is something that you know is it, the league as a whole is really going to have to be reckoning with. Reckoning with, and mm-hmm. it's not going away, and it's not going to go away quickly as much as I think a lot of people. Um, at, at the league, at league headquarters, and within a lot of teams, uh, wish it would. Right, and I mean, we don't know what else people are going to discover. What else coaches have said, maybe that might also contribute to this case. And simultaneously, we saw earlier this week that the attorney generals of six states have written to Roger Goodell, um, talking about the treatment of female employees and uh, basically threatening legal action if things don't change. We've seen women added to the Rooney Rule. Um, last month, but it still certainly seems like um, the NFL is sort of dealing with multiple issues on multiple fronts when it comes to uh, how they're treating people who are not white men and how, uh, you know, that sort of, that is becoming an issue the NFL is going to have to address in the months to come. Yeah. And I, you know, before we move into the more fun topics, you know, it was kind of my takeaway from the league meetings last week, being down there in Palm Mm -hmm. Beach, where it was just this really weird juxtaposition where you know, they, they very much wanted to like celebrate, like, look at right. what a good path the NFL is on. And we're making so much money and the new TV deals and talking about the future of streaming and NFTs and, um, you know, sports betting and all of this mm-hmm. kind of stuff when, you know, really kind of bubbling under the surface was all of the rest of this stuff. Everything with Deshaun Watson, mm-hmm. um, these, the, the Brian Flores lawsuit. And this was even before, you know, what you just mentioned with the attorney generals led by the attorney general of New York, um, you know, treatment of women. And it's all just kind of like sitting under the surface. Um, and a lot of this stuff is, these are problems that the owners have created for themselves. I mean, Jerry Jones is in a mess and we didn't even get into the Jerry Jones situation of it all. Last week, there were just too many other things going on. Um, and, you know, they're just kind of betting that once, you know, we're, we're up on the, we're in draft season, right? In two mm-hmm. or three weeks, you know, they're going to put on a hell of a show in Las Vegas and it's going to be, you know, all about the pomp and circumstance of the draft. And then mm-hmm. all these new quarterbacks are going to be on the field with their new teams in May. And then, you know, they can, they're, they're hoping that the other stuff will just kind of resolve itself and go away. 
Um, but there are a, a number of you know prominent people that are trying to keep this other stuff at the forefront. Mm -hmm. I mean, doesn't this sort of seem like it's how the NFL thinks about things? Like it, it sort of fits with what, at least, I don't know about your perception, but my perception of the NFL is as long as the money's right, we're yeah. good. And, mm -hmm. you know, to the NFL, the money is right. This, the, the CBA is done. The TV deals are done. The NFL is very happy about that. But, you know, the fact that they're presenting that as, as sort of the, oh, look at all the progress we're making. Look at how great things are. I think that's pretty telling when it comes to, you know, how they're actually feeling about these issues and how important they really think these matters are for the general health of the National Football League. Yeah. And there's just not a lot of like consensus. Like, you know, I think everybody can can say like, oh, yeah, diversity is important. But like, what does that actually mean? And like, oh, yeah, we care about women. But what does that actually mean in practice? And you have some, you know, very acute examples now of, of issues that are going on. And how do you address those in a way that's meaningful and actually enacts, you know, real change? And I don't think anybody really has those answers right now. But it's it's stuff that Roger Goodell and all of the owners are going to have to continue to address um, in the coming weeks and months, I think. Right. It feels like the NFL is, hope, I guess, was hoping that putting end racism in the end zone was going to solve. Weird that that didn't problem. actually work, right? I uh, thought, yeah, that didn't actually solve anything. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously a lot happening um, when it comes to these issues. And we'll see what the NFL does in the weeks and months to come. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there is no competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a Jets Pizza location near you. Again, try Jets Signature 8-Corner Pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But like you said, we are going to talk about some of the football-related, just so football-related, I shouldn't say that, but some of the player-related and player-specific stuff uh, when it comes to free agency here as well. And there's a really sort of interesting group of players left in free agency. I think, at least to me, more really known quantities, more well-known players who were still playing at a reasonably high level last season, still available in free agency as we approach the draft. And so some of these guys might sign in the days and weeks to come before the draft begins. Some might wait until after June 1st. But I wanted to talk to you about some of these guys who are left and maybe try to figure out where might be a logical place for them to end up in free agency. Um, I think for all of these guys, obviously, if you're a free agent, you're hoping for a big contract on day one. That's when the biggest deals get handed out. So these guys maybe not getting what they were hoping for um, but certainly still players who can play at an NFL level. And I think the first one that comes to mind for me, and I want to know what you think about this. Um, the first one that comes to mind for me is Tyron Matthew. And I guess I, I want to know what you think. Do you feel like you're surprised that Tyron Matthew is still out there on the free agent market? Uh, you know, a couple, several weeks after free agency began, because I was sort of expecting him to sign much earlier in this process. Yeah, I mean, there wasn't like a super robust safety market, I think, mm -hmm. during during free agency this year. Um, and, you know, I think he's kind of at this position now where, you know, obviously he's he's getting into probably the, the later stage of, of his career, but he's 20, is he 29? He's right on the 29-30 precipice. He might yeah, which is, you know, kind of a... You know, I don't. I don't think he's going to fall off a cliff. I don't think his play dropped considerably last mm -hmm. year, um, but he might be approaching that point a little bit. I mean, I think you know teams were maybe able to um, kind of offensive were able to like maybe scheme around Matthew mm -hmm. la last last year a little bit more than they had in in previous years. 
But I kind of look at this one as a situation of like the market wasn't really there necessarily. There wasn't this exploding market for safeties. Um, And also he kind of is in a position where he can be choosy. He can look around and see what is the best fit for me. And if the big deal, you know, or a longer term deal wasn't there in the first 10 days or so of free agency, there isn't a ton of urgency, right? Where he has mm-hmm. to go out and rush and do something right now. I think the the off-season program and getting into the building the first week of April, that's maybe less important now than it than it used to be, especially for, for veteran players. And obviously he's a he's a, going to be an important leader wherever he ends up. But I think he's earned the right at this point to go somewhere where he's going to be valued and he's going to be um, a good fit in the locker room and certainly a good fit on the field. I thought it was interesting that he did kind of a, I don't know, but it was almost like a courtesy interview with the saints this week. Like he was home (laughs) in Louisiana and he said, you know, that's what we used to do. Like I remember doing that when I was 23 and I was home visiting my family in Colorado. And I like called up the Denver post and said like, can I just come in and say hello? It's like an informational, you know, that's what you, you, know, you tell people to do. And maybe that's kind of what it was where they said, hi, I got to tour the building. Let's stay in touch. Nothing imminent. Um, I think there's going to be opportunities there for him. Um, you know, the Saints money wise just doesn't seem to make a ton of sense, obviously like lifestyle wise and what he would mean for that organization right now when mm-hmm. they're kind of at this, um, transition point where I think they do, they do need some leadership and some new, um, maybe some new faces in that locker room. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not sure if football wise or money wise it, that the saints make the most sense. I just want to point out that you did end up working at the Denver post. I, so that worked. It did. It took, it took another five years. So maybe, you know, the saints <laughs> in like 2027 when, when Tyron is 35, but when they finally have cap space for the first time since uh, Drew Brees got there. Yeah, I, I just, like, I know the money's going to be different, and I know that it's more complicated than this. It just seems so weird to me that Daniel Sorensen is under contract on the Saints, by the way, and Tyron Matthew is still a free agent. Like, just something seems wrong about that to me. Yeah, I mean, I think we're we're kind of at the free agency is so weird, where you get mm-hmm. the, the big signings right away, and then you get a lot of the, kind of, like, the tier two tier three tier four free agents who sign kind of in that next wave because you know they kind of see okay this is what the market is i i I need to just sign something Mm -hmm. and then there the guys that we're talking about today have either some sort of question mark about Mm -hmm. them or they have the luxury to wait a little bit longer and be a little bit more choosy about where they're going to go so where do you think tyron matthew does end up or where do you think maybe he should end up Sure. I mean, I, and this is, I swear, this is not just my AFC West bias coming through, but I think there's two AFC West teams that would make a lot of sense for him just mm-hmm. in terms of like a football fit. And that's the Raiders and the Broncos. Mm-hmm. They both have safety needs. The Raiders especially yeah. have, have a big safety need. Um, the, the Broncos do as well. I, they have less financial flexibility there. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are two teams where I would I would like to see him play and I just want as many good players in the AFC West as possible. I just want them all to be here. It's pretty much everyone at this point that's left. Yeah, I mean, but that's fine. Yes, the Broncos had uh, Kareem Jackson and they cut Kareem Jackson um, this offseason, or he's a free agent, excuse me. They signed him yeah, his option, expired, yeah. signed him to a one year deal, his option or his contract expired. He's a free agent. So Justin Simmons, of course, the excellent safety there, but Matthew and Simmons would be one of the best. Uh, you know, safety combinations and all of football. So I think absolutely, if the Broncos get that done financially, that'd be great. I said the Eagles, sure. um, where I just feel like that is a position that Howie Roseman has invested in in years past. Um, I know I was reading, uh, I believe it was Bo Wolf on the Eagles from The Athletic, and he said that the best free agent signing Howie Roseman ever made was Malcolm Jenkins, who just yeah. retired recently. And I mean, Malcolm Jenkins was a you know, sort of a hybrid safety, a guy who's probably best as a free safety, Tyron Matthew, can do that same sort of stuff. And I think a leader, you know, I, I think this is a guy who really was kind of the heart and soul of that defense in years past. And the guy who was healthy. I mean, he has, for a guy who had multiple knee injuries, his reputation was, oh, he's not going to be available. Um, you know, he's not someone you can rely upon early in his career. He's missed one game in the last five years. And it was because, or sorry, one game yeah, one game through injury in the last five seasons, and that was because of COVID. So, I mean, he's been on the field yeah. and, and healthy and productive. So, you know, yeah, I, I think there is reason to be concerned about him getting older, um, but it's not like he's breaking down physically. So to me, I, I think 
this could be a really underrated signing. I think we could be sitting here in October and November and saying, why was he still there in the middle of April? That's yeah. crazy. Um, a guy who I, you know, maybe flipping it a little bit, uh, a guy who we think we're all not surprised maybe hasn't signed yet because of his injury, but a player who you would figure there's going to be interest in after how he performed during the postseason is Odell Beckham. Um, you'd figure he's probably not going to be ready for the start of the season. I guess we'll find out. But where do you think Odell Beckham should end up? I mean, I think he should stay with the Rams. Mm. I I, I think that's the best. I know that they signed Allen Robinson, but they also traded away Robert Woods. Mm-hmm. There was just something really magical about that fit for him in that scheme, the way he kind of immediately developed a connection with Matthew Stafford, the way that, you know, Sean McVay maybe seemed to get him and get more out of him than we had seen in a long time. I just think that's the best football fit for him. They know his injury. They know what his rehab timeline is like. They don't have you know, they make things happen financially that other mm-hmm. teams seem to not be able to. So I, I don't think it's a ton of, um, it might not be an easy contract to figure out. Um, but the longer this drags out, you know, it, it seems to make the most sense to me that that the Rams would be the place that he's going to resign. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's interesting because when they originally acquired Odell Beckham, it was right before Robert Woods tore his yeah. ACL. So they were going to run with, Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, and Odell Beckham as their top three receivers and push Van Jefferson into that fourth receiver role. So it's not their biggest position of need. Like, I think Van Jefferson is is fine as a third receiver, but given how frequently they want to run out those three wide receiver sets, like, they could push Van Jefferson to the fourth spot. And they could have him as a guy who plays earlier in the season before Odell Beckham gets ready as the year goes along. So I think it's absolutely plausible that they could make it work if the money ends up working in for Odell. I mean, if you are getting a one-year deal, why not get it with the Rams where you're going to be in, in a, you know, in California playing for a team that just won the Super Bowl where you looked really good in that offense. Certainly a great place for him to, you know, sort of rebuild his value and try to get a big contract next year in free agency. Spot that came to mind for me was the Packers where I mean, we know Aaron Rodgers needs receivers. His current number one wideout is Alan Lazard, and then Randall Cobb is the number two. I figured they were going to draft somebody or maybe sign somebody uh, besides Odell Beckham. But I think in that division, the Packers are such huge favorites over everyone else that, to me, I think having Odell Beckham sort of take the first half of the season off or get into game shape over the course of you know October and even November is fine because I think for the Packers, they need a guy who can be a difference maker once they get to the postseason. And Odell Beckham. Um, pending this ACL tear, I mean, looked like a better player with the Rams than he did with the Browns. And certainly Aaron Rodgers is going to make his wide receivers look better than Baker Mayfield did. So to me, I think, again, at the right price, that would be a pretty logical addition for me looking at what the Packers could do this offseason. Yeah, and I I think that doesn't make a lot of sense. And I think the Packers might come up for some of the other receivers on this list that we'll be talking about, um, just because there is such a glaring, you know, a glaring yeah. need there. Um, I think with some of these some of these other guys that we're going to talk about on this list, but most certainly with Beckham, there just doesn't seem to be a ton of urgency and maybe his market will change as he gets a little bit further removed from that surgery, which I believe was in like late February, not even mid February Mm -hmm. because the Super Bowl was what right around Valentine's day. So when he gets a little further into his rehab and the timeline becomes a little bit more clear and then the receiver pictures for these other teams shake out because you would think that some of these receiver needy teams are going to address mm-hmm. that in the draft. If they're using a first round pick there, maybe the the market changes a little bit or their view on which which veterans they want to bring in. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think it, it is telling that Beckham picked the Rams over the Packers last time. You sure. know, part of that, I think, was the recruitment process and what, you know, what California could offer him. Um, so if ultimately it came down to the Rams and the Packers again, I bet he'd pick the Rams. I bet he'd make the same decision one more time, but that's a good point. Uh, but it'll be fun to watch. And I think he's, he gives us a lot to talk about and think about, you know, of where he'll end up throughout the summer and then kind of what his contribution, because whoever signs him is going to be getting a good player at mid season, mm-hmm. almost mm-hmm. like, you know, you're adding somebody at the trade deadline because right. he's not going to be a part of your training camp plans or your early season plans. So you can kind of figure out where you're at um, and how you can add him into the mix at midseason. So you're saying Aaron Rodgers needs to offer Odell Beckham state farm opportunities to get him to come to Wisconsin. <laughs> sure, I mean, let's offer him something. I don't know. Uh, cleansing treatments or <laughs> you know, two for one. I don't know. 
I don't know if Odell's into forced vomiting or anything that Aaron is, but maybe, I don't know. Maybe he is. I certainly cannot say. Um, let's talk about one of the other wide receivers, and someone who's very close to Odell Beckham, who was going to form a dream team with him in Cleveland. And now both guys are gone, I think, quicker than most of us expected is Jarvis Landry, who was cut entering the final year of his deal. Um, I know there were reports he was looking for $20 million a year. I don't think that's going to happen. And I have to admit, like you said, you know, I don't see a lot of great fits for wide receivers right now, especially entering the draft and given how many teams have invested at wide receivers. So from your perspective, where do you think Jarvis Landry could end up? Yeah, I mean, and I think he's, you know, he doesn't fit the profile of the other receivers who've gotten paid this right. offseason, you know, um, but he's, I think he's a really quality receiver and he'll be yeah. a really good addition to whatever team. So um, I'm looking at the Packers, which okay. is one of the teams that we already talked about, because I'd love to see at this point, if there wasn't this huge payday type of market for Jarvis Landry that he maybe was hoping for back in early March, um, who's, where, what's, where's a team that is going to be a contender, is going to be able to win, has a really good quarterback, should be able to make a, a playoff run that he was never really able to make um, with the Browns. So that's why I'm looking at the Packers. You know, we'll see. I, they need like a speed receiver. You know, yes. it's very clear. Like, I don't think he fits the exact profile of the type of receiver that um, Matt LaFleur wants to add right now. But if you're talking about just like a quality dude and a guy mm -hmm. who's going to be able to contribute and be reliable for your quarterback. Um, I think that would make a lot of sense. And then the other team that I think is going to be looking at a lot of these veteran wide receivers is the Cardinals mm -hmm. because they, they just need more bodies in that receiving room right now. Yeah. I mean, they are, they lost Christian Kirk on that spectacular deal with the Jaguars. AJ Green's still a free agent. You know, you figure DeAndre Hopkins and Rondell Moore are going to feature, but they do so many three wide receiver and four wide receiver sets that they're going to need people just to run routes out there, like you said. So I think that makes total sense. I brought up the Bears, which I don't think makes sense in terms of Jarvis Landry being a guy who's, you know, sort of it, it, not past his peak, but sort of at the tail end maybe of his peak. But I, I think the Bears need reliable receivers for Justin Fields. I, I don't know that they're going to be a competitive football team, but I think they could use a guy next yeah. to Arnold Mooney. And, and I guess they did add Byron Pringle and Equinemius St. Brown, but those guys are not going to be, you know, guaranteed difference makers. They don't have a first round pick this year, having traded it for Justin Fields. So I, I think just having a guy like Landry, who's sort of a safety valve, you know, a guy who's reliable, who's going to be open over the middle of the field, a guy who, you know, you can trust to win one on one uh, out of the slot. I think having that guy is really valuable. It's been valuable for, you know, someone like Mac Jones with Jacoby Myers. Um, and I think having that guy, even if Trevor Slantry is not going to be, you know, a 1,500-yard receiver or a guy who's going to win, you know, who's going to pick up a bunch of deep balls every week, like just having a guy who's going to be sort of the safety valve where you have Mooney going over the top, I think that's really valuable for, you know, for, for a guy who has to have easy options in his second season. I think they have to do something to make Justin Fields' life easier in Chicago. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And they're a team that I'm kind of watching in the draft too to see, mm, okay, are you sure. going to invest heavily in a receiver in the draft? Or, you know, is this a position where you're gonna have to maybe backfill with with a veteran at that point if you if you don't address it high in the draft? Mm -hmm, for sure. Um, one more receiver to get to, and then we'll move on to other positions. What about Julio Jones? And I mean, I I, I was talking about this when it came to the Devontae Adams trade. Um, Julio Jones three years ago, 29, led the NFL in receiving yards. And if I told you in 2018, after Julio Jones had 113 catches for 1,677 receiving yards and eight touchdowns, that three years later, he would be a cap casualty from Tennessee, not even from Atlanta, from Tennessee. I feel like you would think I was a lunatic. And yet that is exactly what has happened. So, I mean, in terms of Julio Jones's market, like, do you think that there's more left here? Do you think that he's really the guy we saw last year in Tennessee where he was really an afterthought? And where do you think he could possibly go? Yeah, life comes at you fast, huh? It right? does. I mean, yeah, it's it's hard, you know, to, it's hard to watch these guys that we've loved for so long kind of get old. And it seems mm -hmm. like that cliff came for Julio Jones a little more quickly than anybody was expecting. I mean, he dealt with injuries his last year in Atlanta and you were trying to yep. figure out and we're, you know, spent a lot of time trying to figure out, okay, is this an aberration or is this just a sign that he's not going to be able to put together mm -hmm. um, a long season or a full season anymore. Um, to me, it feels like a, a, a classic Patriots move. 
for him to, you know, mm-hmm. they've signed like every kind of veteran guy just on like a, let's bring him in and see if he has anything left type of deal. And, you know, if, if he is showing that he's healthy and this, this, like you said about one of the other moves earlier, we could get to, you know, October and be like, how the hell did we let the Patriots <laughs> sign Julio Jones? He's healthy. He's rejuvenated. Um, it just feels like a very classic Bill Belichick move to sign mm-hmm. him for basically nothing um, and then come around. And then the other potential team uh, that I would throw out here is the Cardinals, who I mentioned mm-hmm. for Jarvis Landry as well. Uh, they kind of went this route with AJ Green last year. So, and AJ Green also a free agent. Um, maybe he kind of fills that role as like, you know, a, a veteran receiver, another guy to go in that room that maybe you don't have to spend a ton of money on, but maybe you can get a little bit more out of him at, at this late stage of his career. Can I throw a juicy one out there? Yes, please. That I don't think is actually going to happen, but I would be fascinated if it did. What if Julio Jones went to the New Orleans Saints? Ooh. Falcons. The, Just that, to add a layer to that. Um, the, the NFL's Falcons best rivalry. rivalry. It is the NFL's best rivalry. Thank you for saying that. I am. I always think that, and I am afraid to say it because I know other fans are going to get so mad, but I think well, Falcons Saints is the best rivalry. There, there are other good rivalries, oh, of but course. what makes it so good is that it's like so deeply ingrained yes. in both of those like fan bases. And it's just like the little, you know, the digs that they will take at each other, especially mm-hmm. that New Orleans takes at Atlanta mm-hmm. um, and that, you know, Sean Payton was a big part of it. So it's a really fun rivalry, but that would be, um, it would be pretty juicy, but yeah, I mean, he's, he's like a, you know, he's a Southern guy, right. You know, he's mm-hmm. from Alabama played in Atlanta. I mean, it would make a lot of sense um, and would be really fun to see and just God so painful for Falcons fans if they were as they're in this, what's probably going to be a really rough rebuild Mm -hmm. um, to see Julio Jones, like revive his career in new Orleans. That'd be, that'd be real tough. I mean, it makes sense though. Like, like all the points you said, I mean, they have Michael Thomas, of course, Michael Thomas has been, you know, missed basically two years of football with a high ankle sprain or ankle injuries. They have very little else at receiver. They have, I mean, strange to say about the Saints, they do have 16 or sorry, a little more than that, 19 million in cap space right now for their top 51 guys. So, I mean, they could do a deal and I think they might go after a left tackle. We'll talk about that. Um, They're certainly going to have to address stuff in the draft that that trade they made makes me think they may be moving up for a quarterback, but I mean, they could use a, a viable starting wide receiver and Julio Jones is that with upside as something more significant. So I feel bad for the Falcons fans who are listening to this. They're probably cursing or have turned this off, but I, I, I think it's juicy, and I think it makes more sense than maybe you would seem at first glance. Yeah. Well, I, I generally, you know, people always ask sports writers like, "Who do you root for?" I'm like, I root for chaos. Yes, so that's chaos. So bring it on. Hundred percent. We will. We have to do a separate podcast on what is actually the NFL's best rivalry at some point during the off season. Um, let's talk about left tackles really quick. So a couple guys still out there. Um, Dwayne Brown and Eric Fisher. Um, these guys are both in their 30s. I mean, Dwayne Brown's been playing for forever now, I feel like. Eric Fisher um, came off of the torn Achilles he suffered in the AFC Championship game for the Chiefs a couple years ago, was solid for the Colts last year. Where do you think these two guys end up, given how many teams do need tackle help at this point in the offseason? Yeah, I kept coming back to kind of the same group of teams yeah, for these guys because there's. it seems like there's almost this game of chicken of figuring out, okay, well, which who's going to sign a guy first. And then you figure out who's left Mm -hmm. Um, Panthers very clearly need offensive line help. So I think it it could make sense for both of these guys. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe the Seahawks, I think for, for Dwayne Brown, the Seahawks might should be like the leader there. It might just make Mm -hmm. the most sense that he returns to Seattle and stays there. Um, but the Seahawks, if Dwayne Brown doesn't go back, there could be a spot for Eric Fisher. Um, the Saints, you mentioned, yep. you know, after losing Tron Armstead, they have a they have a clear need. They do have extra draft capital, mm-hmm. um, and this is a really good tackle class. That that's a spot that they could end up filling in the draft and waiting mm-hmm. out, you know, waiting out the the free agent moves here. Um, and then, uh, and then the Colts. Although yep. I, you know, the Colts are not a don't don't seem to be an op- option for Eric Fisher unless all the musical chairs move and you bring him back for mm-hmm. a, a smaller deal or something, but that's an, it could be an option. I think for Dwayne Brown, if he chooses not to go back to Seattle. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think that, um, you know, there, there's just, 
there's the, like you said, it's game of musical chairs, right? There's four teams left that need left tackles. Seattle, Carolina, the Saints and the Colts were the four teams I had just like you. And there's two tackles left in free agency who can play left tackle at a pretty reasonable level. And there's three tackles in the first round. Evan Neal, uh, Ike McQuonu, and Charles Cross are the three guys who Todd McShay and Scout Sink have as first round grades. A lot more guys in the second round. They have five tackles with second round grades. But, you know, I mean, those teams are going to have to either fall in love with one of the tackles and be in position to draft them, which uh, some of those teams have picks to take a tackle and some of them do not. And or they're going to take Brown or Fisher. And I, I think Brown or Fisher is still solid NFL left tackles to me. Like they're not superstars. They're not guys who are going to be all pros, but they can get the job done. And for a team like Carolina, you know, I wonder what you do because yes, like you can sign Dwayne Brown or Eric Fisher and have a locked in solid left tackle at least for a year or two. But for Carolina, they've started eight different left tackles each of the last eight seasons. Like they've had a different primary left tackle eight consecutive times since Jordan Gross retired. Like they have to solve that before they even get a quarterback. Like their quarterback situation has been a mess, maybe in part because their tackle spot has been a mess. So uh, I I don't like being in that situation if I'm one of these teams. Like, like I know that there's two veterans and maybe three really promising tackles in the draft, but I would just... I'd want to get that thing solved before it gets too late. And I don't want to be the guy left, you know, pulling the bag without a left tackle to protect my quarterback. Like the bears, like the bears. Yes. Like the bears. Exactly. Um, you don't want to have to call up Jason Peters when he wants to retire and pay him enough to get him to come back. It's just not a good spot for you. Um, Let's talk about two of the linemen on the defensive side of the ball who are still out there. Jadevian Clowney had a bounce back season with the Browns last year after a really disappointing year in Tennessee. Um, and then Nadaman Kung Su, who's been, again, playing in the league forever, um, has been so reliable, just does not miss games due to injury, has been such an effective player um, for Tampa Bay over the past few years, but is getting older now in his mid-30s. Where do you think these two guys should end up? Yeah, I'm going to have the really boring answer here. I'm sorry. This is bad. This is bad hot take podcasting here, but I think they both should just go back to where they've been. Um, You're not wrong. <laughs> so not wrong. I think it makes the most sense for both of them from a football perspective. Um, Clowney didn't have a ton of options last year. I mean, he was coming off of an injury. It's just, he hadn't played well. Um, so he took like a, probably a below market deal. And I, I would imagine at this point, he, you know, he played really well last year when he had nine sacks, I believe. Um, last year, maybe he's looking for a little bit more, more than a one-year deal, more than $8 million. I'd like to get a little security, you know, because this is what, three straight years now that he's been on the free agent market and kind of doing this, this dance in late March into April and trying to figure mm-hmm. out where he's going to sign, um, you know, and probably believes he has earned the right to a little, you know, to not have to do that anymore. Right. Um, but like he, he played well in Cleveland. It clearly fits. He clearly fits in well with Miles Garrett. Um, so I just, I like that from a football fit. And, you know, if you're looking at like, okay, who's in a team, who's, where, where's a team that's positioning itself to win, you know, the Browns have been pretty aggressive mm-hmm. um, this off season for, you know, we, we, can, we can talk about, talk about what that's meant um, right. on another podcast. Um, but I just like that for Clowney in terms of, you know, he's gone places where it hasn't worked. Mm -hmm. And if anything, maybe he has a better perspective of like, what do I need at this point in my career? Where do Mm -hmm. I fit in? Where am I happy? Where can I play well? And uh, it's working in Cleveland. So I think he should just stay resign. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that makes sense. What about uh, Dama Kung Su? Tampa Bay still? Yeah. I mean, I I think maybe he wants to resign in Tampa more than Tampa might want him. Um, I think if Tampa really wanted him, they might be would have done it yeah. by now, or if there's kind of a disagreement on the market or value or whatever. Um, but you know, he, we, we know he really likes Todd Bowles. Um, you know, there's a lot of comfort there. I'm just I had a hard time figuring out looking around the league and figuring out, okay, like who, who has a really glaring need for a 30-something year old, you know, defensive tackle. And there, mm-hmm. there wasn't a, a huge clear spot. I mean, maybe like the Ravens, if Clayus Campbell doesn't go back, mm-hmm. you know, maybe that's a place that he could he could slide in. But I kind of like Calais Campbell going back to Baltimore. So right. um, there's some dominoes there. But, you know, I think if he wants to give it kind of one more run and they're trying to bring as many people back as possible, you know, maybe Tampa makes the most sense. Mm-hmm. I, I threw out the Browns, actually, for okay. the Kung Su, where I just felt like, you know, they did have last year, they had Malik McDowell. Um, they had... 
uh, who else did they have? They had Malik Harrison, I believe. Malik Jackson, excuse me, not Malik Harrison. Malik Jackson on the interior. And they had they had someone else. I'm trying to think of somebody else who they had. They had a third defensive tackle, I believe. Basically, they're starting over at defensive tackle. I mean, they have some guys who will figure in. I think they, they signed Taven Bryan, who will figure into uh, the rotation there. But I do think they could add someone else. Kind of position they could address in the draft, certainly. But after trading all those picks as part of the Watson trade, um, you know, I, I feel like adding Sue would make sense. Now, granted, I don't know. Maybe Madonna King Sue only wants to play in warm weather states. He chose Miami um, in free agency. He signed with the Rams and then back to the Bucks. Maybe he wants a warm, tax free state, which that's not Ohio. But I, I think he's, you know, for a team that could use maybe two defensive tackles and maybe draft one and get one out of the veteran pool, I think Sue would make sense. And then for Clowney, a, a team you've brought up a lot for. Another position is Arizona, where we know yeah. they're comfortable signing guys to one-year deals. They'll use the uh, they'll use voidable years to kind of spread out some of the cap hit, and they haven't replaced Chandler Jones. Chandler Jones went yeah. to um, where did Chandler Jones go? The Raiders, excuse Raiders, me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, right now their top pass rusher is Marcus Golden, who I mean Marcus Golden has been pretty good, but has had injury issues in the past. They brought back they brought back Dennis Gardeck, who's like one of those like weird nerdy football guys where like if you talk about Dennis Gardeck, you have like instant credibility for some reason. Um they have JJ Watt, but JJ Watt is has dealt with injuries pretty much the last several seasons. I, I feel like they could use another pass rusher. Maybe it's something they will address in the draft, but I think going out and getting Clowney on a one year deal would make sense for the Cardinals. So um they have their own cap issues. Their cap's not in great shape. The Browns, like you said, um in a sort of weird position now after the Watson trade, they have that $18 million for Baker Mayfield that they're going to try and dump at some point. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think it also probably depends on what shakes out in the draft that may determine the market for some of these guys and who actually needs a defensive lineman in the weeks to come. Um, Last guy here and a guy who I think we heard rumors that there was interest in earlier this off season, but has not signed yet is Stefan Gilmore. Yeah, the corner market didn't really take off like yeah. I think probably some of the free agent corners were were hoping it would. You know, mm-hmm. I think the J.C. Jackson deal it, with the Chargers was very reasonable. Yeah. Um, it really wasn't until you know Xavier Howard got his extension done with the Dolphins, and that's staying with your own team. That's not actually hitting free agency that we saw mm-hmm. kind of a real shift at that position. So. You know, I I imagine Stefan Gilmore is disappointed in what the market is. So now if you're not going to get, you know, even a top, I mean, I don't know if he was ever going to get a top of the market deal at kind of his age and where he's at right now. Um, but if he wasn't going to get kind of maybe just the next kind of tier down from that, maybe now it's looking exactly at football fit and mm-hmm. winning and those sorts of things. So with all of that said, the two teams that I am eyeing there are the chiefs, if they mm-hmm. could financially make it work because they really have a need at cornerback. They have yeah. not invested in that position. Um, you know, they've, they've tended to go young there over the last few years um, and have been okay kind of just going with draft picks. Um, But that secondary is undergoing a massive shift right now. Obviously Tyron Matthews gone, like we just Mm -hmm. said, Justin Reed is in, but Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's it's a need and it's a team that, uh, you know, when you look at what the rest of the AFC West looks like right now with the quarterbacks and receivers in that division, Mm -hmm. you know, might be worth trying to load up at, uh, you know, see if you could financially make that work. Um, And then the other team is, Maybe the other AFC favorite in Buffalo. Could, yeah. could Stephon Kilmore go back to Buffalo after leaving Oof. there a few years ago? Things have changed though, right? Like, you know, yeah. the, 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 I think Sean McDermott was there. I don't believe Brandon Bean was yet there, um, but that was a different era. That was a different yeah. Bills team. Um, and I mean, it worked out well for both sides. Stephon Gilmore went to the Patriots, had a great career there, um, you know, was sort of got the the recognition maybe he felt like he was not getting a Buffalo. And the Bills drafted Tredavious White, who has been a great cornerback for them. I think if they had White and Stephon Gilmore in corner, I mean, that would be really, really scary duo. I just, I wonder, you know, like they, they really sort of went against their type and adding Von Miller, like they were a team where I even wrote about it like a couple of days before, like they go out, they hit their five, $6 million signings. They sign their ex Panthers. Like they, they have their, their lane and they're really good at shopping in that lane. And then suddenly they went and spent $20 million a year on Von Miller. So I wonder for them, if it's like, if they see themselves like, okay, we are now 
all in not the way the rams are all in in terms of draft capital but in terms of our cap in terms of our spending like we think we're one piece away and i wonder if that would maybe encourage them to go after stefan gilmore yeah and if you know that might change his you know his view of the team and the organization and maybe change the amount of money or the type of contract you know maybe he would take a one-year you know a one-year deal there because they're kind of loading up to make a make a run in one year Mm -hmm. um you know when you kind of survey the landscape so it could be fun. And like I said, chaos. I want like good stories and Stefan Gilmore kind of mending fences and going back to Buffalo would be a, would be a really good story. That is interesting. I said the Raiders. Um, I do think, like you said, they have needs in the secondary. I think Gilmore could be, um, you know, I, I think Gilmore would probably be a starting outside corner for them. I know they added Rocky Sin from the Colts, but I think the Colts were just basically dumping Rocky Sin as part of that uh, Yannick Ngakwe trade. They have Nate Hobbs, who was good as a rookie in the slot. Trayvon Mullen has been effective, but like Anthony Averett, the guy they signed from the Ravens, has not been good with the Ravens. And I, I think if I'm being honest with you, like if you aren't good with the Ravens, you're not going to get good going somewhere else. Like if the Ravens can't coach you into being a useful corner, it's not going to work for you somewhere else. So to me, I think they could still use another cornerback. And, you know, if Gomer is looking for a meaningful deal, I mean, the, the Patriots brain trust is there. I mean, they saw how good Stefan Gilmore was in years past in New England. So maybe they don't do it. But the fact that they traded for Devontae Adams makes me think that they want to be competitive now. And like you said, in the AFC West, you need all the pieces you can get to just compete for that division title yeah. right now. Well, and they were linked a lot, the Raiders to Stefan Gilmore kind of earlier in free agency, and it just wasn't happening. Like they right. just weren't really interested. And the longer this goes, and if the market changes, and if demands change, you know, maybe priorities shift, and it's something that um, that could get done. Right, for sure. All right. I think we hit our people here. We got through all nine of them. But Lindsay, if people want to check out your coverage of the NFL, whether it be in audio form, whether it be in written form, where can they do that? Sure. Well, um, all my writing is at The Athletic, you know, come subscribe um, and then weekly on The Athletic Football Show. And then my daughter's uh, football and basketball picks and maybe baseball. Now, maybe I'll have her pick the Masters. I don't know. Those are all on my Twitter <laughs> account at by Lindsay H. Jones. I'm sure she'll pick Tiger because he's the Tiger. So everyone else is picking Tiger. So why not? She probably doesn't know that he's a, a human and not an actual Tiger. But that's, you know, Ooh. we don't we don't need to. <laughs> We don't would, need to ruin that for her yet. Do you think an actual tiger would be good at golf? I mean, he would eat all of the other competitors. Right. So sure. Right. I think he just has to hit one stroke just to qualify as playing golf. And then if he he eats every other possible golfer, he wins. So I think he'd actually be pretty good. And probably wouldn't be afraid if an alligator, you know, came out of the the water hazard, you know. <laughs> sure. That that's really what stopped my golf career was just fear of alligators, sadly. Um, but Lindsay, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Bill. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks so much to my guest, Lindsay Jones of The Athletic. Check out Lindsay's work, not only written on The Athletic, but also with The Athletic Football Show. Thanks so much for being patient. Uh, I was off on vacation for a week. Back now, we'll have more audio coming to you each and every week heading into the NFL draft and, of course, afterwards as well. So thanks so much for listening. Hope you guys enjoyed it and more on the way.